Well, over the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching a series, not starting next week, but the next week, several out of the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to start this morning, and then there's going to be a four-sermon series as we talk about our continuing our legacy, leaving a legacy, our legacy, uh, as we talk about our capital campaign. So if you want to kind of study ahead on the preacher, you can uh, in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we're basically going to cover a vast portion of it. <clears throat> and some of the messages, I have to go back and repeat a little bit to kind of get a running scenario because it all kind of ties together. And so this morning, uh, as we talk about uh, how to start a building program, we're beginning that series. But uh, as we go over the next few weeks, we'll come back and touch on some things and then tie them together. How do you start a building program? Well, first of all, you have to have some land. Well, that's important, but that's not how you start a building program. Well, you need an architect to draw up the plan so that this thing doesn't fall in. <laughs> that's needful, but that's not how you start a building program. You need a builder. You need somebody that knows how to put those cross members up and how to rivet this to that and how to lay that concrete and put all the piping in and the electrical and all of that. that. That's absolutely a necessity, but that's not how you start a building program. According to Nehemiah, you start a building program by prayer. Prayer. That's how we've started. And as Les said this just a few minutes ago, that's how we're still in the process of. But there's some things I want you to see out of the book of Nehemiah because there's more than one prayer. And because we're kind of in the midst of that, getting ready for this second go-through of what prayer really means, I want you to understand what the Word of God says with regard to how do you start a building program according to Nehemiah. And I would say he's a pretty good expert at what he did. And uh, I'd rather go to the expert than a novice and so in God's word this morning, we want to see how do you start a building program. Now let's go back and get the context because any text without a context is but a pretext. So what is the context of what we're talking about? Nehemiah is in the court of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah comes from a prominent family. That way he had some standing in the community. Uh, he's in his court. He's a cupbearer. That means he's one of the trusted confidants of, of, the, of the king. Very, very close to the king. The king's life almost depends upon him. And because of that, he's trusted. And because of that, the, the cupbearer, the one who is the one who's serving the king, had some particular things he had to do. He, he had to always be cheery and upbeat. He had to always be confident in what he was saying and what he was doing. Uh, you just don't go into the king with a, a kind of a, uh, a bad attitude. You don't go into the king despondent because you are to help him be upbeat. And so we join all of this when we get to Nehemiah chapter 1, and let me just read a couple of verses here to kind of get it in perspective because what happens, Nehemiah's brother comes to him and tells him what's happening back home in Jerusalem. And he tells him that the walls are down. Now listen to me very carefully because we're going to come back to this over several weeks. The walls have been down 140 
years. A hundred and forty years. And so his brother comes to him. And we join the conversation here in Nehemiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity. This is when Nebuchadnezzar took over. This is what's left. The remnant that went back that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now look at verse 6. He's praying, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And so he's praying, he's fasted, and, and, and has prayed to God. Now, some of you that will remember back in February, I used that portion of this text to talk about us fasting and praying. We were praying for our pulpit search committee. We were also praying for some decisions of the church. And if you remember, this church has made some significant decisions this year. In the space of just a few months, we have made mountain-moving decisions. One of those decisions was to go back and reaffirm what we decided 16 years ago in order to move. We said we were going to do that. But it's been 16 years. We felt it was good to go back and touch base again with the church and be sure that's the wishes of the church. And you voted 90 plus percent that that was what we should do. Amen. We fasted and we prayed and we decided that that's what God wanted us to do. And then a little bit later, a couple of months later, we had the opportunity to sell this property. And so we asked you to pray again about is that God's will? Is that what you perceive God's will to be? And if you remember, I think it was less 94% or 90 plus percent. It was, it was actually a bigger, a larger percentage than the first vote. So 90% plus in both, both of these votes to move ahead. That's what you did. You see, to start a building program, you pray. That's the first thing you do. And what Nehemiah did, he prayed about the condition he was in at the time. That's what we asked you to do, to pray about the condition we're in right now. And God bless you. You voted in the affirmative in both cases, and things are in order, and things are moving, and we're making great progress, and pretty soon we're going to be turning some dirt out there, and we'll have a glory hallelujah celebration service when that happens. Everything's on track. There's all sorts of permitting and stuff like that. Legalities have to take, be taken care of. I'm so grateful there are folks that know what to do about that. And so that's in process. But that's the prayer that's here. But I want you to notice in verse 4, it says, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, fasted and prayed before God of heaven. That's the prayer that you've already prayed. But there's another prayer. Another prayer that's here in the book of Nehemiah, that's where we are today. There's another prayer to pray. The first prayer was general. As a church, we're going to move generally. We're going to sell this property generally. 
That was, a, that was a prayer that we all prayed corporately, and that was the decision that we made corporately. But when we get down here to uh, chapter 2, we find out that when, when Nehemiah goes into Artaxerxes, now listen to me very carefully. From the time he gets the word that there's problems back in his hometown to the time he goes to Artaxerxes is four months He's been weeping before the Lord, confessing sin, and praying for four months. He goes into the king. Now, I told you a minute ago, you can't go into the king sad. You can be moved out pretty quick if you go into the king. You have to be upbeat. And I'm sure Nehemiah was upbeat. But the king knew him well enough, and Nehemiah had shared enough with the king for the king to sense something real in his life was out of sync. And so the king asked him, why are you so downtrodden? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah tells him. Now notice Nehemiah never says Jerusalem. He says, it's the place of my father's sepulcher. <laughs> he doesn't rub it in. He just says, the place where I grew up, my hometown. He says, the walls are down and the people are in distress. Now, when he says that in verse number two, he says that, and he says that I was very sore afraid. The Bible says, the actual translation of that, I was seized with great fear. Now, why was he fearful of telling the king that and bringing that up? The king already lets him know, I know something's wrong in, in, in your life. But, but you're bringing, you're, something's not right here. He brings up the issue of Jerusalem without calling it Jerusalem. But he's, he's very fearful of doing it. Well, some of you are ahead of the interim pastor, I'll bet you. Because I told you a moment ago, the wall's been down for 140 years. Now, if the wall's been down 140 years, why would this issue be such a big issue on Nehemiah's heart and mind when he talks to Artaxerxes. I mean, if it's been down 140 years, that's old news. Well, what you find out when you read the Bible, there's complementary verses in other passages. The Bible matrix itself. In other words, there's a book here and another book that lays over the top of it that gives us another picture of what's happening in this. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, you, read, you should also read the book of Ezra, which is just before it. Ezra was the preacher. Nehemiah was the layman. But both have a perspective of what's going on here. And if you go back to Ezra chapter 4, you'll find out that the Jews had tried to rebuild the wall very recently. During the reign of guess who? Artaxerxes, the same one that Nehemiah is before. And listen to what happened. It got shut down. Some politicians shut it down. Some power brokers shut it down. Listen to what happens. Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which come up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. They're in the process of trying to do it. Uh, they're again, try, verse 13, they're again trying to do this. 
verse 16, we certify that this thing, that if this city be builded again and the walls thereof set up by this means, thou shalt have no portion of this side of the river. Verse 20, there have been mighty kings all over Jerusalem which have ruled over all countries beyond the river. Toll, tribute, and custom we paid to them. Give thee now commandment to cease these men to cease, cause these men to cease, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from thee. Now when the copy of the letter of the king Artaxerxes was read before Rehom and Samishabai, the scribe and their companions, they went up to haste to Jerusalem and to the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then cease the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This is my point. Nehemiah goes into the king to talk about rebuilding the wall. Earlier, they had tried to rebuild the wall and this very dude, Artaxerxes, shut it down. He said, you're not going to do it. And the reason he wouldn't do it was money. The, the enemies of God were saying, if they build that city over there, they're going to get the tax revenue. We're not going to get it, and we're, it's going to cost us money. So, King, you need to shut it down, and he did. Lock, stock, and barrel. The Bible says he shut it down by force. That means the guards came in there, and they told you to come down off the scaffolding, and if you didn't come down, they killed you. The king's word was final. No rebut. So Nehemiah now is telling the king the very same thing that the king had said no to before. But remember, he had prayed about the general need that was taking place. He was praying about what, what, what needed to be done corporately. And now he's before the king. Verse 4 of chapter 2. And the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? Now look at the next phrase, Nehemiah. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Chapter 1, verse 4, he prayed. What did he pray? It was a corporate prayer. The walls are down. God, would you have me to have something to do with the walls? Do we need to all go back and do it? There's a need there. Can I do it? Can I go back and be a part of that? Yes. Now he's on the spot before the king. Now it's not a corporate decision. In chapter 2, verse 4, he's on the spot. He's got to do something right that moment. So he prays to God. God, what will you have me to do? And God answers his prayer. Look what he says in verse 5. And I said unto the king, if it please the king. Isn't that good? Don't you like that? He's, you know, I'm going to tell you what to do, but it has to please you, you know, king. I mean, he's a smart guy. If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Jordan, unto the city of my father's sepulchre, that I might build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. When he's put on the spot, Nehemiah knows something needs to be done. He had prayed about that. 
But now he has to do something. He's put on the spot by the king. And so he makes his plea. Now, remember I told you it's been four months since he heard word that Jerusalem, the walls are down. When his brother came to him, he didn't run into the king the next day. He fasted and prayed, but I believe he also was looking for the opportune time, the right time. Artaxerxes is a politician, and he wanted to feel this out and sense when God would use this situation to bring glory to himself. And here's the situation. Look at verse 6. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. That's in parentheses. It's kind of a sidebar. Doesn't mean much, does it? Oh, yes, it does. The word, king, the word queen there is in the Hebrew is the word sigal. It means concubine. Ladies, I'm sorry. I'm just reporting it. I didn't write it. That's just what it says. The definite article is used. The concubine. Secular history tells us there were three concubines. In fact, it names this woman. She was the chief concubine. Therefore, she was, quote, the queen. The queen did not sit with the king in official duties. She's a concubine. Are you listening to me? So the queen is there. He has a private meeting with the king, and the queen's there. He didn't embarrass the king and put him on a spot out in front of all the news reporters and all the news networks were there with all their camera trucks out front. He did it in private. And one of the conservative scholars that I read who is a, who is a master at the Hebrew language says the, the, the content of this verse indicates that the queen was in agreement with what he was saying. The queen was egging on Artaxerxes in her way. I don't know how that worked, but evidently she thought much of Nehemiah or his request, at least was sympathetic with it, and she may have actually influenced him to do what he did. My point is this. As a church, we have prayed about the the project. But now we're asking to pray about your response in the midst of the project. The decision's been made. We're going to rebuild the wall. <laughs> now, what will God have you to do? Now, listen to me. I don't want your money. What? I want your obedience. What we're going to do is present to you a plan as best we can. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to do. And we're asking you to pray about what is your part in that. It's that simple. Listen, we're going to move to a corner where there are eight gazillion cars a day go by it. Don't you think God would be honored if there's something at that corner as people are going down to see Mickey Mouse could look and see a church that gives honor and glory to God? Yes. Yes. Don't you think he's led us to do that? Yes. Don't you think he's moved mountaintops for us to do that? Yes. 
But it's not going to happen unless you and I make a decision like Nehemiah did. When we're put on the spot and the Holy Spirit's involved, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? You're going to pray about your decision. And you're going to do what God asks you to do. It's that simple. There's no arm twisting. There's no guilt. We want you to look at the plan, look at what we're talking about doing, and then, God, what would you have me to do in the midst of this? How can I make this happen for the glory of God? It's that simple. It's that simple. Because you see, if you start with prayer, everything else falls in in place. Because in verse 6, it says, And the king said unto me, the queen sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. And so he has now not only his prayer is is the first thing we do in a building program, but second of all, we get permission. He got permission to do what God had laid on his heart. And not only do you have permission, you have provision. Look, if you will, in verse 8. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see that phrase over and over and over in the book of Nehemiah, the good hand of God that is upon me. He was doing God's business. That's why the good hand of God was on him. So not only did he have the king's permission to go and do, but he had the king's provision. He said, I need to go and rebuild it. And oh, by the way, I need some supplies. And and again, we don't know exactly where they came from. Some believe the supplies came from Solomon's gardens that are six miles south of Jerusalem. It makes sense because you wouldn't have to transport the, the material very far. Some have said it's the cedars of Lebanon, but that would be a much further trip. So many conservative scholars believe it was the Solomon's garden that actually gave up the timber that was used. Listen, God is providing in marvelous ways the provisions that we need. And God is going to speak to you just like God spoke to Artaxerxes in a most unusual way for him to be involved in making the provisions possible. So how do you start a building program? First of all, you start with prayer. Number two, you start with permission. We've gotten both. God has given us permission and God has given us direction. But we also need provisions. That's where we are today. The provisions to do what God has asked us to do. But also, we not only have provisions and permission, we have his protection. Look, if you will, in verse 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, what are the king's letters? Go back to verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given uh, me to the governors beyond the river that that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And so the king actually gives him some letters for him to use as he goes through the neighboring countries to have safe passage through the other countries. Uh, One of the things that's interesting, one of the scholars that I read said that for this to happen, because the next thing we see here is not only does he have protection uh, with regard to the letters, but look at the last part of verse 9. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Isn't that interesting? 
Let me put that in modern day parlance. He had secret service protection. And this scholar that I was reading said, the only way for that to happen is if he is the governor of Jerusalem. When you look at what takes place there, he had to have power. And so not only does he move from being a cupbearer to the governor of Jerusalem, over in chapter 8, he gives that governorship to his brother because he's going to go on to some other things. We'll study about that later in our study. He has protection, and he's going to need it because in our later messages, you'll see that there's some enemies of God who will try to stop what he's doing. This is my point. The Jews have been trying to rebuild a wall for 140 years. We've been trying to relocate a church for 17. When God finally moved on Nehemiah's heart, things began to happen in rapid order. Things are happening at rapid order here. But it's still left up to people to respond to God's prompting in their heart with regard to what they're doing. That's where we are with you today. 140 years. I'm not going to get into it today, but if you read over a little bit further, you know how long it took them to rebuild the wall? Does anybody know? 52 days. <laughs> They've been waiting 140 years. You know how they got it done? Everybody pitched in. Many hands make light work. And we read over there is about 40,000 of them actually worked on the job. Folks, we're getting ready to pray that second prayer. Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, I'm at a point here I've got to make a commitment. I've got to say something to Artaxerxes. What should I do? Lord, we're at a point here of commitment. Lord, what will you have me and my family to do to see this done? As my high school coach used to say, Son, the ball's in your court. It's in your court. Nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to load you up with guilt. But I'm telling you, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to not only continue a legacy, but leave a legacy. The other day I was telling Liz, I had to go to Orlando to a meeting. And it was a semi-important meeting. When you retired, all of them are semi-important. So, uh, so I'm going down the interstate, and quite honestly, I was not thinking about you. Forgive me, but I wasn't. I, did, I had my mind on some, something else. And I turned off of 95 onto 4, and as I'm driving down, just out of the corner of my eye, I saw the crosses, saw the, saw the problem. It just, you know. And I mean, God hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, Glenn, you are having a part of what that's going to be. You are having a part of that. And I thought to myself, long after the interim's over with, I can make that turn down there and see 
what I had a part in. A little part, but I had a part in. Folks, that's what we're asking you to do. What part would you have in seeing that accomplished for the glory of God? For the glory of God. We can do it. We are doing it. Don't be left out. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a marvelous book the book of Nehemiah is and how pertinent and practical it is to us today in the situation we find ourselves in. A man is given an opportunity to do something great for God and all he does is he's obedient. That's all you want us to do is be obedient. And so, Lord, as we pray through this, what will you have me to do so that we can arise and build? I pray that as we make those contacts, those calls, as folks are given the information, I pray that they will prayerfully consider what you would have them to do to see this accomplished. This morning, even though the message has not been an evangelistic message, maybe there's somebody here who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of life. They need to come today and through a simple act of repentance and faith, trust Christ who has forgiven them of their sin. Embrace what he has done. Receive it and accept it. Lord, maybe, maybe there's somebody here today that needs to pray that prayer. Lord, come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. I want to be your child. And by simple faith, I receive your forgiveness of sin. Change me from the inside out that I may glorify you in everything that I do and say. And I ask this in Christ's name. When a person prays, it's not the word so much as what's in their heart. A person is saved. Maybe there are others here today who are Christians looking for a church home. Maybe they're moved to Daytona and they've moved everything here but their church letter. They're looking for a church that's on mission, a church that has a significant goal ahead of her. They want to be a part of that. I pray this morning you would give them this church so that we might make them stronger and they, by their coming, might help us to be stronger. Maybe there are others here today that need to rededicate life. Maybe not even talk with one of the staff. Just come and kneel and talk with you. Maybe there's some that just this week they've had some crushing load put upon them. And just by kneeling down here and talking to you, there's a sense in which you lift that heavy burden off of us. Lord, I don't know what decisions your spirit has led this morning, but I believe your spirit has been reticent in the service, and I believe he's been evident in our heart. And so, Lord, I pray that people would respond as your spirit prompts. For I ask this in Christ's name.